The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Amen. Well, please remain standing and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll actually pick up the reading in verse 11, though our text today is verse 12 to 16. Ephesians 4 verse 11. You'll find that on page 977 in your pew Bible. This is God's Word. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. We do pray now, Lord, that the word of which we have just read may have its very effect upon our hearts. Uh, Lord, banish uh, distraction and tiredness from our minds and bodies, and may we receive this word to equip us and to build us up, that we might function as we ought in this body, bringing glory to you and serving you and each other. This is our desire. We plead with you to work that now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we can see that Paul is continuing to develop uh, his thoughts about the purposes, the work, and the designs of the offices that Christ has gifted to his church. We see the offices there in verse 11. We have to conclude that they are offices of the word, the preached word, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Paul tells us there in verse 12 what the main, and he speaks broadly, the main functions of those offices are as they speak the word, (coughs) excuse me, and then he speaks of the design or the effects that that preached word should have in the the lives uh, of Christians and in the life of the church. Uh, The ministry of the word is for the equipping of the saints and for the building up of the saints. And Paul says that when that happens, when that ministry uh, is is practiced in the church, the saints will grow in maturity. And as they grow in maturity, they become more active, being what they've called to be. They function as they are in the body of Christ, the church. Paul wants us to understand from this text that the saints are to grow in maturity, in Christian graces, that the saints are to receive the word with gladness, And thus, they are to serve in the church as they ought. 
we can see two very clear uh, divisions or distinctions within the text. There in verse 12, there's firstly the work of the word offices in the church, the work of the word offices in the church. And then secondly, in verses 13 to 16, there's the goals or the purposes of that work. So what the word offices do and what is produced by the Holy Spirit in the church. We have, first of all, then in verse 12, uh, the work of the word offices in the church. And the first thing I want to say is that work is a twofold work. And if you've read anything on this text, you'll understand there's a grand debate that exists about verse 12. Is there a twofold work or a threefold work or even just a simple onefold work? The first thing we can say before we get into that is that this is not about deacons. Uh, Paul's not giving us an extensive list of all the offices in the church and all that they do. To be sure, deacons have a word function, though predominantly their task is mercy ministry. But with that mercy ministry must come the word. But Paul is speaking here back to verse 11 of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers, particularly as they're given to minister the word. Everything Paul says in verses 13 through to verse 16 are predicated upon that reality. These are word offices. This is what word offices are to do. So what are they to do is the question in verse 12. Have they got two functions or have they got three functions? If you're reading the King James Version tonight, it will read like this. He gave the apostles, prophets, so on down to teachers to equip the saints comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for building up the body of Christ. King James translated it as a threefold ministry. Uh, we have to be a little bit careful here, and we don't want to be overly dogmatic. I think the ESV has it right. There's a twofold ministry in view here. These offices, as they preach the word, are firstly to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and secondly, for building up the body of Christ, both grammatically in the Greek and also in the context. I think those two functions make better sense. So we have then a twofold work, equipping and building up, equipping and building up. That is to say, the word offices that the ch- that Christ has given to his church through preaching and teaching, there is to be an equipping of saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. Look at that first purpose there in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We've got the idea, firstly, of equipping. Equipping. Paul is saying that when the word is preached and taught faithfully in the church, saints, that's all of us, should be equipped for the work of ministry in the church. That's what should be happening under the preaching and teaching and in the studies of the word in the church. Where that is not happening... There's either a fault in the preaching, or there's a fault in the hearing, or there's fault in both the preaching and the hearing. 
the verb here to equip is a precious one if we look it up in in the Greek and in its uses elsewhere. It's used in Matthew's gospel in the repairing of the disciples' nets, their fishing nets, putting back what is not working properly, a repair. It's also used in the restoration of broken limbs, a healing, a strengthening, a putting right what has been disjointed. Matthew Henry, commenting on this idea of equipping, says it is to bring into an orderly spiritual state and frame those who had been, as it were, dislocated and disjointed by sin, and then to strengthen confirm and advance them therein. In other words, the word comes to each one of us um, in, in our sin, and, and to use the language of brokenness, which is not a euphemism for sin, it's different, um, and fixes us, heals us, puts us back in place, and equips us and fortifies us for the service mentioned. Scripture is very clear. Uh, The word, if properly preached and if properly received, is able to make us wise unto salvation. That's 2 Timothy 3 verse 15. Verse 16 continues, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That's the purpose, the first purpose of the preaching and the teaching of the word. It is to equip us. That's to say the design of the Holy Spirit in this very moment and in the teaching ministries of the church should change us, prepare us, challenge us, straighten us out, even rebuke us, as Paul says to Timothy. I wonder if the preaching of the word does any or all of those things for you and for me, dear friends. This is the ministry of the Spirit you see in our lives. The the Spirit taking the word and preparing us for ministry, preparing us for service, for activity in the life of the church. Another way of thinking of this is, as William Hendrickson says, Paul speaking about the priesthood of all believers. There are acts common to all Christians that all Christians ought to be engaged in. Acts of ministry, acts of service, common to every one of us, regardless of one's office, which should be done in the church. There are special functions, no doubt, but, but what's being focused upon here is the ministry of the saints, the entire body. And we can ask ourselves, are we serving? Are we in the work of ministry? Not the ministry. It's not what it says in the Greek or the English, actually. Ministry, service, activity in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, it can't just be work or service that you like, or God forbid, work or service that gives you a good name or reputation in the church. No, service is service. It's rarely easy. It's often unseen and frequently costly. 
Is that our mind? Yes, the word should be readying us, motivating us, shaping us, rebuking us, exhorting us, doing all these things so that we are equipped for the work of service in the church. That's the first purpose that Paul elucidates regarding the word offices. The second one is there in verse 12 also, for building up the body of Christ. And both these functions we're going to see repeated over and over and over again in the designs or purposes of the the word ministry. There is the building up, the building up of the body of Christ. We're talking about edification. We're talking about strengthening. This is a construction word or idea. There is a strengthening quality to the ministry of the word. At least there should be in all our lives. There is the fortification of our soul, the fortification of our mind, the fortification of our affections. Against what? Against the ferocious and subtle temptations of the world. We're going to see that down in verse 17. We'll see it also in verse 14. The Christian mind, you see, friends, is a mind at war. And if our mind is not at war, then, then we've got problems. We will struggle. Uh, we're, at, we're at war with the world. We're at war with Satan. We're at war with our own flesh, are we not? That conflict that should exist within us. The word is to build us up for that very conflict personally and corporately. Uh, we're told in Scripture we must stand fast. We must hold fast. We must run the race. We must fight the good fight. These are all activities, activities of the mind and of the heart that we do by faith. Paul is saying the principle that that, that happens in our lives, not the exclusive, but the principal ways through the teaching of these offices. So the question is, are you being built up? Are you being edified? Are you being strengthened by the word offices in this church? And if you're not, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions, don't we? Um, perhaps it's Pastor Ocken and I who, with all humility, need to hear from you as to why our ministry is not building you up. That's one option, most certainly. Or it could be that you might need to hear in all humility from your elders something about yourself that is preventing you being built up by the word. Or it could be a bit of both. Sinclair Ferguson sums up this verse and he says this, This is the biblical understanding of the preaching of the word of God. Its goal is not merely educational, but transformational. Transformational. Listen, it informs the mind in order to touch the conscience, to mold the will, to cleanse the affections, and sanctify the whole life. As our Lord prayed, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Are we being transformed by the word? Perhaps a good way to measure that is to ask, are we serving in the church? Because that's the, the, the conjoining thought here, being built up uh, in the body of Christ. The work of ministry goes right along with that. 
So Paul is telling us two central functions of the word offices in the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up, uh, sorry, for building up the body of Christ, that there's like an individual and a corporate element to these two works. Now, having laid out the actual work of the word ministries, he goes on then to provide us with the designs or the outcomes of those works, of those word ministries. There's goals, design, or purpose. And we have to say we're, we're flying over this text at a rather high altitude. We could spend a week at least on each one of the, the goals that he mentions here. But when we think of the goals, I want us to look at the grammar of the text, verses 13 to 16 for one moment. Verse 12, or rather verse 11, he said, here's your word offices. Verse 12, he said, here's the two main functions of those word offices. Then in 13 to 16, he makes a series of purpose statements. Purpose statements. Verse 13 starts with the word until. This work is going to go on until something happens, a result or a purpose. Verse 14 starts with another purpose statement, so that this work goes on so that something might happen. Verse 15 starts with a rather, a contrasting word. The word uh, ministries of the church are going to help you be like this rather than that. And at the end of verse 16, we see another purpose statement, so that, so that it, the body, builds itself up in love. In other words, Paul identifies four goals, uh, four results of the word ministry in the church. And they all focus around growth and maturity. I hope to show you that in a moment. Growth and maturity maturity. The first goal is there in verse 13. And here we're talking about attaining mature unity. Mature unity. Look at verse 13. We have the two works equipping and building up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, even as I read that, you can see a number of different clauses in there, which we can't hope to treat in any great detail. But what Paul is saying here is there needs to be a growth in maturity so that unity is a reality in the church. The word ministries, when they work in us, when the Spirit works in us, should produce in us a maturity that leads to great unity in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has already laid out that unity. Pastor Rockin preached on it a few weeks back. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Christian unity, we know, is not present in every congregation, nor the desire of it present in every person who claims to be a Christian. Christian unity is not produced by carnal tendencies. In fact, carnal tendencies lead to the very opposite of this reality. Carnal tendencies lead to disunity, 
to separation. In other words, this is a spiritual grace being worked in the Christian by the Holy Spirit under the ministry of the Word. Paul says that in those who love and receive the Word, there is not only a growing up, a maturing, but they are characterized by a unity until we all attain the unity of the faith. Accompanying and qualifying that idea of unity, Paul says uh, it's not just the unity of the faith, but in the knowledge of the Son of God. That's very important. You see, Paul just doesn't say, have unity. He says, have unity and the knowledge of the Son of God. This is not unity absent of doctrine. This is not unity at any cost. This is not minimizing all the difficult parts of the faith, which is what the church at large has done. No, it's unity defined by the knowledge of the Son of God. And that's going to play into our next uh, next goal that we'll see in just a moment. Those who know Christ. And I have to say, friends, it does not need to be a deep knowledge of Christ. But those who genuinely and sincerely know Christ nearly always seek unity. You see, it's not the depth of knowledge that counts. It's the sincerity of knowledge, true knowledge. I'm sure we've all met those in the church who like to champion their spiritual and theological credentials, but do nothing for church unity. We've seen it. We know it. Paul's saying that's immature at best, wicked at worst. To have that kind of attitude, he says it's immature. Why? Because we're trying to grow into to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what Paul is calling for. A growing maturity, a growing knowledge of Christ which is sincere and real and genuine, which produces in us the kind of unity of which he is speaking. It's mature manhood, the measure and stature of Christ. In other words, he's saying this, we have been anointed with the Spirit of God. Christ himself poured out the Spirit upon the church. And a natural consequence of that Uh, indwelling of the Spirit individually and corporately is both a growth in maturity and a delight in unity. Notice we said that unity there is qualified by the knowledge of the Son of God. That leads us into our second goal or result, verse 14, which is a maturity of doctrine, mature doctrine. There's a so that at the start of the verse. We read this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Yes, we are to receive the word so that we might grow in maturity of our doctrine, of our beliefs. Paul's talking here about children. We know that children by lack of experience and discernment, are often more gullible than adults. They accept more readily what they're told because they're unable to discern otherwise. 
Look who is doing the telling or the teaching in this verse. The telling or teaching here is done by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That is to say, the world outside the church and when the world is found inside the church wants to teach us and teach our children after us everything it knows. It wants to saturate us with filth and innuendo. It wants to sow erroneous doctrine in the church on politics, social issues, parenting, everything under the sun. The world has an answer for it, apparently. Nothing is left untouched by the philosophies and the doctrines of the world. But we, Paul is saying, we are not to be so immature that we are tossed to and fro. We hear one thing one day and believe it and hear something the next day and believe that. Paul says that's immaturity. When we are taught by the word, when we search it, when it's preached, when it's taught, it should inform and shape your doctrine. It should inform and shape what you believe to be true and right and good. And Paul's going to emphasize that reality down in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God. They're acting in accordance with what they believe. We are not to believe what they believe, and we are not to act as they act. You see, your teaching, your doctrine, what you believe, should change the way you live. And that means under the word, and this is a challenge to us now, under the word, we should change what we believe. That's the purpose of what Paul is saying. We should change what we believe. Sometimes we might need to radically change what we believe, but more commonly, by small degree, we need to change so that we conform to the word rather than making the word conform to us. That's the paradigm here. We must change. The word's not going to change for us. We must change to be in accord with the word. Are you changed? Are you challenged? by the ministry of the word in this place? Does it make you think of things differently, change by degree or radically? And that's not to say that that the preaching in this place is the final word on anything, frankly speaking. Neither Pastor Rocken nor I would, would dare think like that. But God has ordained the preaching of the word, not only for the salvation of souls, but the edification of the saints, the building up of the saints, the equipping of saints. We didn't make this up. We ought to expect, we ought to expect to be molded and shaped and changed by the word. If we're never changed by the word, Paul's going to say that that's like being a child. It's immature, the child that will never be told that they're wrong. Now, we are to expect, rather, a challenge 
to ourselves, a challenge to our conduct, a challenge to our thinking, a challenge to our doctrine. The third goal is there in verse 15, and this is a challenge to mature growth. The word ministry of the church should grow us and grow us in maturity. We're not to be tossed by every wind of doctrine and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, this is what the word ministry should be doing in your lives. It should be rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up. There's the maturity. Grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Mature growth. And particularly focused here is a growth in integrity. Integrity. We're not just to speak, we're to speak the truth. And we're not just to speak the truth, we're to speak the truth in love. As we have been taught by God, so also should we speak like God. We should think his thoughts after him. We should speak his words after him and speak his words in the manner that he speaks his words. We must speak the truth in love. Maturing in doctrine leads to a maturing in integrity. We don't knowingly let a lie slip through our lips. We speak the truth. And when we speak the truth to each other, what does it do? It causes us to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. There's the growing up motif, the maturing motif. We see this here that part of, 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 of growing in the church is the trading of truths back and forth. From offices to the congregation, all of us to the congregation, from brother and sister to each other, that mutuality of speaking the truth in love. I think Paul's giving us a very important lesson here. The principal purpose of Christian speech within the church, and there are other purposes, but the principal purpose of Christian speech in the church is edification. It's building up that those who hear those words might grow up into Christ, who is the head. There might be a maturing. So we ask ourselves, are we speaking the truth? Are we speaking the truth in love? Uh, When we speak, is it out of love and in love that we seek to communicate often hard truths to those around us? Of course, the goal there in verse 15 is growing up, building up, maturing. And the fourth goal is there in verse 15 into verse 16. It's mature action. You'll notice maturity has found its way into each of those points. (coughs) Mature action, growing up into Christ, verse 15, we begin to function as we ought, verse 16. Into Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up 
in love. We can see the maturity again, that growing, that constant growing. The first reality we see here is what Paul says about the church. He says at the end of verse 15, into him who is the head, into Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together. He's just taught us that Christ is the head, the head of the church. That is to say the church is his body. The church is sourced uh, out of him. The church is directed by him. He is the head. We are the body. And when we function in that way, living, as it were, in the power of the risen, ascended Christ, then each of us begins to do what we ought to do. And as we do what we ought to do, the whole church is built up, builds itself up in love. Paul is saying Christ must be the centerpiece of his church. He must be the power by which the church works. He must set the agenda of the church's life. He must provide the direction of the church's life because he is its head. The tragedy of the church at large is that they've decapitated themselves. Having removed Christ from their head, they do not know which way to go. It's entirely predictable. You'll notice what else he says. It's not just from whom the whole body uh, is, is joined together and held together. He says, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. With every joint with which it is equipped. Paul's using a slightly different image here, but similar to the one he uses in Corinthians joined and held together by Christ, but Christ has equipped the church with multiple joints for multiple functions, multiple service, multiple ministry. He's talking about different parts of the body, different members, but all equally of Christ. He speaks elsewhere of hands and feet and eyes, saying to each other, we have no need of you. Paul says that's nonsense. Each of these joints is put together and in place by Christ and in Christ. Who are we to say a certain part of the church has no use? You see, we reach here the church is equipped by every joint with which it is equipped. Christ has equipped the church, not just with special offices, but by every member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has put you in place here at Shiloh or wherever you ordinarily attend. And each part, each joint, each part of the body is to work properly, says Paul. When each part is working properly, what happens? Makes the body grow. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, there's a, a design. There's a designer, there's an equipper, and he's equipped the church with everyone here present. And each of us has a task to perform according 
to the appointment of Christ. And the wonder of it is, when we do what we should, according to that appointment, according to that equipment, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ grows. It matures. It builds itself up. And there is a remarkable building up in love. Of course there is. What happens when you look out and you see every member in some way involved in some sort of ministry in the church? You think, what a remarkable place to be. There's no other institution that works this way. At least we should work this way. We are to work as God has appointed us. We are equipped to the body, each one of us. We don't all minister in the same way. That's why God has given different gifts to different people. But we are all to work. We are to function properly. We make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We need to think on that. We are to contribute. We are to serve. We are to work. And when we don't contribute or work or serve, We are stunting the growth of love in the church of Christ. That's the natural conclusion of what Paul is saying. When we don't serve as we ought, when we don't function properly, we're stunting the growth of the building up of love. So Paul's great goal here as we bring this to a conclusion tonight is to lay before us first the functions of word ministry and then the products or the results of that word ministry uh, in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. You could say at one level, the goals of the word offices in the church are quite obviously, in kind of a truism to say this, is that we, the church, might grow in grace, that we might grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We might be, to use the language of the text, maturing and no longer childish. And and so there is a great call to each one of us to ask us, to ask yourselves, are you developing yourself in, in maturity? Are you developing the church or is your spiritual growth and service stagnated? It's a great test of your maturity, of our maturity, is whether we serve the body of Christ actively. That's one thing we can say, but there's something more foundational to this idea of growth and service. It's not just for the benefit of us here in the church. We must understand this growth as not being caused by ourselves. I've said throughout, this is the ministry of the Spirit. And given that this growth in maturity and grace and knowledge of the Son of God and consequently service and unity and love, given all that is the ministry of the Spirit, we have to conclude that its ultimate goal is not just the blessing of ourselves, but the glory of God. The glory of God. Service in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ should never lead to our own glory. We have failed, we have fallen at the first hurdle if we think that our service in the church in some way 
should bring glory or attention to us. Service is never about self-promotion. As maturing in growth, as maturing in spirituality, which is God-wrought, we understand he must receive all the glory. And dear friends, when the Christian is enraptured with the glory of God, then that's when the Christian is most useful to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We praise you, eternal God. We praise you, our Father, for your goodness, your kindness towards us. We praise you, Lord Christ, for your wisdom in ruling and working over and in your church. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have equipped each member for the work of service in the church. May you write these words upon our hearts that we might seek to bring glory to your matchless name. And in the due process, Lord, might we build not only ourselves, but each other up in love, in unity, and maturity. Protect us, Lord God, from attacks of the evil one. Protect us from ourselves and build the tie that has bound our hearts together in Christian love. May love flourish in this place. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.